All right, I'm sitting here with Big Four, Robert W. Sullivan IV, Esquire, and we're going to finally talk some movies here. Um, all right, so let's let's talk about. Uh, I'm going to be selfish. Here. Let's talk about some of my favorite movies. Um, we talked about The Shining in the episode, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's definitely my favorite horror movie. Um, but another favorite movie of mine, along those same lines, is The Ghostbusters. And the stuff you kind of analyze with The Ghostbusters is a little different than uh, stuff we talked about before, because you really bring like the Zodiac into this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's interesting because that movie, the archetypes of that of that movie, the three characters are uh, the masculine. Um, you know, when we deal with archetypes, you know, what kind? Um, the tarot is a good place, but of course, tying into the tarot is astrology, um, the signs of the zodiac. Uh, and and when when you're when you're dealing with um, Ghostbusters, the three characters are the three masculine iterations of the three water signs of the Zodiac. Um, Vankman stands and I forget the other characters names, but it's Scorpio, Pisces and uh, Cancer. Uh, and and it, it, when you break it down, they fit those archetypes perfectly. Um, and it's, it's, it's just interesting because um, they, they do battle the of course, the opposite of water is fire. And they do battle with the opposite, the evil fire demon, female fire demon there at the end of uh, Ghostbusters. Yeah, I mean, it's a great film. And it, it actually I mean, I, li- I like the whole the whole motif. Uh, in that of containing of the ghost, the spirits. I mean, this comes out of the, you know, the, the you know, King Solomon, uh, you know, with Ars Goetia and, and commanding the spirits and trapping the spirits in, in the sacred vessel and keeping them under his command. And of course, this is uh, what the Ghostbusters essentially do with the uh, ghost containment union, unit. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is. It, 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 does, it draws on a lot of archetypal imagery, a lot of esoteric themes. Um, it's a great movie. It's also one of my favorites. And uh, it was something that I, I had a privilege of uh, being able to talk about in uh, the first book. You know, it's funny you talk about Evo Shandor, who's a, a character, a non, you know, he's a character in the, in the mythology of Ghostbusters. Right. Uh, and you tie him into Anton LaVey, which I didn't, I didn't know. Right. That, it's interesting because uh, Evo Shandor, the, the, the last name Shandor, was the middle name of Anton LaVey. It's Anton Shandor LaVey. Um, and, and you can't help but um, reference uh, the two, you know, where, 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 where Evo Shandor is using the, you know, oddball rituals to conjure the end of the world. And of course, Anton LaVey, you know, was, you, you know, was the Satanist and, uh, you know, you know, into the devil worship, devil worshiping rituals. And it was just an interesting uh, parallel there between, you know, you know, you know, Anton LaVey doing rituals for negative purposes or doing satanic rituals. And this guy, you know, doing the rituals on top of the building, at least it is in the mythology, to try to bring about the end of the world. Uh, very interesting parallel. I'm sure very intentional as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the character you forgot was Egon Spangler. I don't know how you could do that. He's my favorite character. But um, we'll, we'll move on from that. Uh, now, now, do you ever do TV? Because I know it's I know it's cinema symbolism, uh, but there's some great TV shows. Um, Battlestar Galactica comes to mind. I'm just finishing it up. You know, got to keep my finger on the pulse. The movie, the the TV show, only ended about ten years ago, but that's a. I mean, this falls in line with a lot of what you're talking about. You know, you know, it, the, the thing with doing TV shows for me is I, I do. I, I mentioned the X Files, I think, briefly with the whole thing with Aleister Crowley with the school and things like that. Um, I, I'm planning on doing uh, the Twin Peaks. I was planning on doing um, Twin Peaks uh, in this book. I had it in Cinema Symbolism too. I have a chapter on David Lynch, and I was going to do tw- Twin Peaks. The problem with TV is it's so time-consuming because you have to yeah. watch all the episodes. Multiple um, times, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that can be really tough. Um, 
what's interesting about which what's interesting was I was going to do Twin Peaks and, and this was before that this new series of it came out. And I was going to do the original Twin Peaks on television, so I just ran out of time. I, I just I just thought, you know, you know, that this is going to slow everything down for at least another four to six months, and I just I just cut it out. I'm, I'm going to try to do it for Cinema Symbolism Three because I'm going to do this new new iteration, this new take on on it. I knew I know they just did a new series on it, um, but that that's the problem with TV shows. I'll just answer the wrap up with, with this real quick. I was a huge fan of. Um, a show that aired on A and E recently. They just wrapped it up. It's called Bates Motel. I don't know if you ever watched any of that. I watched the first two um, seasons. What's that? I watched the first two seasons. Okay, well, you watched the first two. I, I watched all five of them, mm-hmm. and it was funny because years one, two, three, four, um, were just your typical. Um, you know, I liked it. Was you know kind of you know what what you came to expect with the Bates Motel. This was obviously loosely based on Psycho. Um, but then when they just ended season five, I think it was 10 episodes, season five was overloaded with um, esoteric imagery and, and, hmm. and references. And um, this is something I'm going to plan on doing. I couldn't believe it. I thought, you know, I, and even kind of I, I kind of even thought back about, wow, I guess I'm going to have to go back and watch, you know, seasons one through four again, because maybe I missed something because season five was just overwrought with all sorts of, you know, esoteric imagery, um, occult casting and that as well. So I, I like TV. I'm not saying it's not a TV, but TV can be a bit of a, um, a, a study because it's, it's much more time consuming uh, than just a movie. Sure. I mean, Lost is really good for this, too. They're very specific. Right. Same creators as, you know, Bates Motel, Carlton Cuse, I think, did both of those. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's I get, I get that. that. That totally makes sense. Uh, so, what is your favorite movie? I don't think I, I'm curious. Like, what would, when you're not looking for this type of symbolism, what is right. your favorite movie? Just my personal favorite yeah, movies. Yeah, sure. You know, just movies. I mean, it, it's it would be tough for me to list them as like all time favorite, but like some of my, I mean, I'd have to put them as like one, one A, one B, one C. Sure, give me top three. Yeah, I mean, I love I love Fight Club. Um, I mean, it's a movie That's I break down, but I love love that movie. Um, I love The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Um, great film. Um, I'm into comedy. I, I love the Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I, mm-hmm. I think that's just fantastic. Um, I love, I mean, it's not one movie, but I love the original Star Wars movies. Uh, four, five, and six, I think, are just fantastic. I mean, I grew up on those. Uh, I guess I'm giving my age away, but but those were um, movies I watched as a kid. Uh, you know, what's some of my other favorite movies? Um, boy, I like... Um, I like the ninth gate with Johnny Depp. I thought that was great. Um, what's some of my other ones? Uh, is it kind of hard? Is it kind of like, you know, when, when you see how sausage is made, you don't like to eat it. Like when you analyze these things so much, does it come to a point where you're like, ugh, I don't even like movies anymore. No, no, I'm fascinated by it. And I, I don't, I don't mind it at all. I, I, I like breaking these movies down. It's something I really enjoy doing and it doesn't take away the movie or if I find out what it's about, you know, it doesn't take the enjoyment of the movie away. I can certainly watch a movie and kind of turn off, you know, my symbolic glasses, as it were, and just watch it for entertainment. Although that can that is becoming harder to do. Um, but no, I mean, uh, you know, and The Shining is another one of my favorite movies. Um, so, no, I mean, I, I you know, I, I can watch a movie for just entertainment purposes. But, um, you know, if I start seeing stuff, the gears will definitely start turning. But, um, yeah, I guess those are some of my all time favorite movies. And, uh, yeah. There you go. Is there any movie that you couldn't fit into a book that you wanted to talk about, but you just couldn't find a space for it? Well, there's always movies that, I mean, this goes back to the first movie book that I was always wanted to take on, uh, but I just ran out of time. 
um, you know, like for instance, when I was writing the first movie book, um, I wanted to do the David Lynch material, but it just wouldn't fit in. I wanted to do the Harry Potter material. Again, the book mm-hmm. would have just gone on forever. And again, the same thing happened when I was writing Cinema Symbolism 2. There was movies I wanted to talk about, but, you know, like Twin Peaks um, or TV shows I wanted to talk about. But eventually I just had to excise them out because the book would have just gone on forever. Again, David Lynch, I wanted to take about talk on uh, talk about Wild at Heart. Uh, but again, I, you know, the book would have just gone on forever. So, you know, I guess that's why, um, you know, I'll have Cinema Symbolism 3. But I guarantee you, probably when I get around to writing that, or yeah, I've started outlining it, there's going to be movies that I'm going to take on that I, you know, want to take on that I guess I'm going to sit back and say, oh, I guess this is going to have to wait till uh, Cinema Symbolism <laughs> 4, I suppose. Sure. Yeah, you've, cut, you've cut quite a project out for yourself, lifelong. Um, now, let's talk about one of my favorite movies and movie series of all time. Um, and there's, there's a lot going on here. Uh, but Back to the Future. Yeah. I love Back yeah. to the Future. Yeah, that's that's quite a lengthy study. Um, a deep study in comparative religion uh, is Back to the Future. Um, we are dealing with, um, again, the, the Egyptian Osirian cycle um, loosely retold in Back to the Future. Um, we, you talked about during the first part of the show, you know, the solar hero. This would be Marty McFly. Um, granted, he's not a Christ redeemer or savior figure, but certainly does go up against sort of a dark evil lord in uh, the Biff Tannen character. Um, I like it, you know, where you have uh, Marty as the, as sort of the Apollo Horus character, lives at Lion Estates, again, a reference to Leo. Um, I love the whole numero- number symbolism with this, with, you know, with the DeLorean being the sun chariot of Apollo or Horus comparatively, you know, it spits the lightning or the uh, mm-hmm. fire, you know, has the, the fire right. trail after it, um, it, you know, activates at 88 miles an hour. We have solar sun reference with that. Um, the number 88, if you turn it on its side, is a symbol for infinity, uh, you know, time manipulation. Uh, so, you know, probably why, you know, one of the reasons why 88 was picked uh, for, 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 the, for, the, for the point of uh, t- time breach. But I love the thing, you know, again, a number in a film that doesn't lie. 1004, striking the clock tower. This is drilled into your head in part one over and over again with, uh, you know, the clock, you know, the lightning's going to strike the clock tower 1004. Uh, 1004 is a reference to October 4th. Uh, you know, it, on the sun character, that means on October 4th, the solar cal- calendar means there's 88 days left. And again, this ties in perfectly to the whole notion of Marty as Horus, as Apollo, the sun god, the sun activating the sun chariot. Uh, very esoteric. Uh, I like it how, um, you know, and again, you have your wizard character, Hermes Trismegistus, would be Doc Brown. Um, you're dealing with with um, our archetypal imagery, again, to tying into the character with, with Doc Brown, with the Hierophant uh, card uh, with, with, uh, with the tarot. Yeah, Back to the Future has loads going on inside of it. They're, they're very esoteric. Uh, Zemeckis and Spielberg wreaked havoc with your mind, um, with buildings in the past and in the future where the buildings are located. Uh, very, very interesting as well. Um, you know, I'm just painting again with broad strokes here, but just a ton going on in Back to the Future. Yeah, I love those movies as well. They're great films. They're, they're incredible. One of my favorite things that you pointed out, look, I've seen, that's probably one of the movies outside of The Big Lebowski that I've seen, you know, 30, 40 times, right? I've seen Back to the Future more than I've seen any other movie. And you pointed out something to me that I never noticed before in the first movie, which is when, um, when Marty is sitting with um, Jennifer and the woman comes up with the clock tower thing. 
behind her and actually when and when the truck pulls up like in that whole courtyard area when they're talking about saving the clock tower behind them is the third eye which right. is um you know a, a psychic shop or whatever which then becomes the 80s kickback um blast from the past or whatever in the second movie i never noticed right. that before right that's absolutely right in in part one um the there, there's a fortune telling shop called you're correct absolutely correct which you know the i think it's called the third eye of course the inhabitant is allowing you to see the future um and this is reversed in the future when marty goes to the 2015 uh in part two that shop is now blast from the past which houses all the old artifacts so it's complete reversal where in the in the in 1985 it sees the future in the future it's a house of the past uh, great symbolism, great reference there. Uh, very dualistic. Uh, very well done by Zemeckis. Yeah, I mean that's the kind of stuff where I, I like. I'm blown away by your eagle eyes. You know, like how did you know? You know, like how do you notice that? Um, yeah, it's, it's it's watching the movie and just you know the theme of the movie is time manipulation. Uh, so you know, anytime you know you're dealing with that, it's just keep an eye out for that kind of stuff. And the one thing I do want to mention, and you know, and I could be wrong here, but. And maybe Zemeckis just didn't want to explain it, and this is why he said that. But I know on several occasions, the 88 miles per hour was a total accident. Like, they just liked the way it looked when they were driving. Like, it lit up the, the dashboard the best way. Um, I mean, your arguments that it's, you know, an infinity sign obviously makes sense. But this might be one of those things where the um, either either the director did it and it was an accident, or he did it on purpose and just didn't feel like explaining the whole thing. Sure, absolutely. Uh, it could be either one of those. Um, they're, they're, you know, I, I talk about in the book. So let's say we have a film like that where the 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 director says, "Well, it's not intentional." So then, how do we ca- account for it? How do we account for the esoteric symbolism? Uh, you turn to the world of the Greek philosopher Plato. Uh, you turn to Carl Jung, the collective unconscious that these symbols, this arcana, um, is just inherited and passed down from one generation to the next, and that since uh, you know, you know, it's just part of who we are and part of what we do. And since movies are, are an art, ex- are part of our expression, our uh, you know our artwork, um, that it just turns up in the film, you know, sort of regardless of the filmmaker's intention. I talk about this in the case of uh, Ed Wood. Uh, you know, we talked about the first part of the show with the demiurge character and Gnosticism. Uh, Wood made a movie called Glenn or Glenda. In 1953, it's the 65-minute um, sort of uh, apologia for transvestism. Wood was a closet, was an, a transvestite. I shouldn't say closet; he was open about it. But uh, in that film, you'll have one of the greatest examples of a demiurge on film, the master of the material world, uh, the puppet master, which is played by Bela Lugosi of all things. And um, if, you, if you went back in time, I mean, I, I, I know for a fact because I've researched Wood. I mean, Wood didn't have the first faintest clue about Gnosticism or Gnostic thought. I mean, I've said this on other shows. I said, if you got in a time machine and went back to 1953 and asked Wood, say, hey, why did you cast Lugosi as a Gnostic demiurge? I mean, he wouldn't have known what the hell you were talking about. I mean, but there it is in his film. So, you know, you know, we turn to the world of Carl Jung's psychology, depth psychology, um, this idea of the theory of forms, that this arcana, this esoteric symbolism, these archetypes are just part of who we are. And they turn, and since, uh, you know, film is an artful form of human expression, they're there regardless. And that's perhaps how the 88 miles an hour um, got into the film. But it dovetails esoterically with what those movies are all about. I mean, it fits perfectly. Sure. And I mean, this is kind of the argument that I was making earlier is that I think a lot of these movies really, you know, a lot of these stories that get told over and over have just struck a chord and have found a fundamental truth. And we keep telling them because the truth is still, you know, relevant. 
I agree with that. Um, you know, and again, just to, you know, you know, reiterate, you get into movies like Star Wars, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. I mean, all in all, it's the same story, just retold and rebranded and repackaged with different names, you know, slightly different characters. But, um, you know, the same character, only with different idiosyncrasies, different names, things like that. But but it's all there. Um. It- it's totally true. I mean, and it's kind of like a cool revelation that we've we've kind of figured out uh, the secrets of life. We just have to kind of listen and watch. Uh, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know when, when you're dealing with those films, like I said, the, the hero's journey, the monomyth, um, that's a good place to start, man, because those those films all, all have it, all have those elements, and by and large are you know the same story, just repackaged and uh, retold, and and it works. Um, it works. No, absolutely. Um, so we're going to do one more film. This this one is, I wasn't even going to talk about it. And then the way you explained it made me realize that this is probably one of the most multi-layered films that, and it was a film that I, I loved as a kid, that I didn't realize had so much going on. And this is kind of like a perfect way to end because it's it shows you just the, the amount of layers that can exist in a movie, even a movie that you've seen a million times. And that's The Wizard of Oz. So, oh, yeah. I, first of all, I know the history of The Wizard of Oz, what Frank L. Baum was trying to do, was, is, is probably a lot to encompass in a couple of minutes. Um, but like, but the whole, his whole reason for writing the, the story was totally different than even what, and, and a lot of that was kept in the movie, and then the reason why the, the filmmakers made the, the, the symbolism they added to the movie, plus the symbolism we've added after that. So there's at the very least three huge layers going on here. Right. With The Wizard of Oz, you're just dealing with three layers. They're very deep. Um, you mean, you're, you're dealing with, you know, sort of your exoteric would be your just one on top, which is, you know, hey, it's just about a story about a girl who has an adventure in her magic land, you know, defeats an evil witch you know, goes home, the end, have a nice day. Um, The Wizard of Oz is a political allegory um, dealing with um, politics from around 1895 to 1900. I think it was published in 1900, Um, you know, where the, you know, this this storyline is somewhat more well known, where the wizard is William McKinley, uh, the Yellow Brick Road. And I'm just painting with broad strokes here just because of time. Sure, yeah, of course. I want to get in, I want to get into a little bit of detail with this, but the way where the Yellow Brick Road um, is the gold standard, which McKinley supported. McKinley is the Wizard of Oz. He lives in Emerald City. Emerald City is green, uh, suggesting paperback money. You need the gold standard or the Yellow Brick Road, road to complete uh, to support uh, greenback money. In the book, the, the girl's slippers, Dorothy's slippers are silver. This had to do with the free silver movement, which was, again, like uh, the gold standard. The Tin Man is uh, the American laborer who was laid off. There was a depression in 1896. Uh, and, you know, the tin, the tin man is immobile. He's laid off. Um, and what put the, the laborer back to work? Uh, it was the oil companies. That's why oil gets the tin man mobile again. <laughs> so crazy. Uh, yeah, the scarecrow is the American farmer. Uh, the cowardly lion is one of two characters or a combination of two, Eugene Debs and uh, Williams Jennings Bryan, who was uh, the political challengers to William McKinley, 
all bark, no bite, hence cowardly lion. Um, so you have this deep political allegory, you know, the idea of uh, Dorothy being sort of the everyday American. Uh, this was sort of the idea of Theodore Roosevelt being the, you know, relating to the populist uh, everyday American. The name Dorothy is Theodore backwards. Uh, so interesting parallel with there. Well, let, then, let me say that for everyone. So it's Dorothy Theodore. Like that's the correct. palindrome they're going for, which kind of that was a mind blowing moment for me. I love that. Correct. And then, of course, you have, and a lot of people aren't aware of this, was Baum and his wife were involved in Madame Blavatsky's uh, Theosophy Society, which was sort of this neo-pagan, neo-Gnostic group, very Victorian, uh, you know, esoteric secret society or society, probably not secret society, but group. And, and again, you'll have these elements of neo-Gnosticism and paganism uh, turning up in, in, in Wizard of Oz. Uh, I'm just you know, again, painting with broad strokes, you have the girl going up the ladder of wisdom, the ladder of Minerva, the ladder of Mithras. In masonry, this would be the, uh, you know, sort of the ladder of Solomon's temple, the staircase of Solomon's temple. This is what's known as the winding stairs, uh, going up the tornado to receive gnosis in the magical land, um, walks on the golden path of religion, the yellow brick road, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. Uh, one of the main tenets of Gnosticism with the Abrahamic faiths were no good. They lead to the false messiah, the Demiurge, the Wizard of Oz, who's a false messiah, the puppet master. Um, and of course, this is where Dorothy has her Gnostic epiphany, Gnostic uh, moment, you know, defeats the Wicked Witch. I love the, the, the whole thing with the witches as well. Uh, the White Witches, uh, the White Witch has the uh, magic wand with the pentagram on top with the one point up, two points down. That's white magic. That's white Kabbalah. Uh, that's Christian Kabbalah. Uh, the 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 black witches, the black magicians, uh, are the East and West. Um, fascinating there. In order to receive Gnosis, you have to move up and down the ladder of wisdom, up and down the ladder of Gnosis. Um, you can't receive um, Gnosis by going East and West, by going stagnation, by going left to right. You can only receive it by going up and down. Hence, the two evil witches uh, of the West and East, or it's only the one, of course, she kills the one by the house falling on it, uh, of the East and West are her enemy. They're trying to keep her stagnant. Dorothy ultimately has her you know, magical epiphany, Gnostic revelation, which for her, there's no place like home. And again, this ties into ideas of Gnosticism, revelation, epiphany, all part of uh, Blavatsky's uh, uh, Theosophy Society. And of course, when she gets home, she's smarter off. She's a better person, still the same person, not quite alchemical. Uh, she's still Dorothy Gale, but she's only much better off, wiser person for the journey. And again, you know, she's had her journey of wisdom. We think Alice in Wonderland uh, as well. Uh, great esoteric occult uh, symbolism going on, what I call in the book, the initiation into the ancient mysteries. Um, and again, this was Baum, you know, being influenced by Madame Blavatsky and theosophy. So in Wizard of Oz, I'll just wrap up. You, excuse me, you have <clears throat> these three levels going on. Uh, very deep, very esoteric. Uh, if you're interested, again, check out Cinema Symbolism. Dude, you nailed that. That was amazing. That was the, that was the quickest, most comprehensive way you could have explained all of that. Um, excellent work. And I'm not done because that is, so that's the movie itself. But now in the, you know, in a postmodern way, we've added other symbolism to that as well. Um, you know, in the, uh, the gay culture has kind of embraced this movie. Uh, you've got, you know, the friends of Dorothy, you've got the, the rainbow, um, a lot of people look to the archetypes of the three, um, the, her three travelers um, as kind of gay archetypes. Like people have really embraced this movie in a positive way, which adds a whole nother layer of symbolism that is only known to this in-group, which is kind of cool. 
Well, right. You have in movies, you know, and this is, again, why movies are so important and why this study is so important, because these movies can affect material culture. You know what you were just talking about right there. I mean, I, my generation, you turn to a movie like Star Wars, um, you know, May the Fourth Be With You. Now we've got a day named after it. I mean, you know, I mean, that, that movie is just, you know, so critical to, to my generation. And what I say in the book is and why the symbolism is so critical and why these guys um, are really good at it and why they do it is it's really modern-day mythology-making. Um, mm. And you turn to a movie like Star Wars or even The Wizard of Oz, that's what you have. It's modern-day uh, mythology, and I think that's pretty irrefutable. Uh, these movies affect material culture on many levels, and uh, this is why the study and this symbolism, I think, is very critical and very needed and very necessary. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, that is a perfect way to end it. Uh, I'm going to ask you one other question, because given your background and knowledge, I'm surprised you've never listened to Dark Side of the Moon synced up with The Wizard of Oz. I don't care what anybody says. That is there. That was purposeful, and, and there the similarities, um, this is right in your wheelhouse, because the similarities go beyond coincidence. Yeah, I mean, this is something I've really never done. I've, I've listened to Pink Floyd songs, obviously, off of that album. But um, I've never actually tried to sync it up. I've talked to people who have. Um, I've, I've gotten both explanations. Some say it works. Some say it doesn't. You're obviously in the field that, that says it works um, and it syncs perfectly. So, yeah, it's definitely on my bucket list. Uh, I'll definitely have to uh, give uh, Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz a shot there. You have to. I'm telling you, it works. I don't care what the haters forget them. This it's it's uncanny the way it works. Um, well, Robert, I, I really appreciate all the time you've taken out. This is, uh, I totally agree with you. This is very needed, and I think it's important to understand, you know, these stories because they really do reveal hidden truths about ourselves um, if you just listen and watch. Oh, I agree with you, and thank you, Dan, for having me on Fascinating Nouns. It was a fascinating show, no pun intended. Uh, it, was a, yeah, it was a great show, I, and like I said, uh, thank you for having me on. It's much appreciated, and uh, anytime you want to have me back for more cinema or Freemasonry, uh, leave it to you, but I'd love to come back on. Um, cool. Well, Robert, uh, thank you again for, for, for everything, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, have a good night.